Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Beautiful little image there, if you can envision that within your head of Jesus holding this blind man's hand and walking him outside of the village, away from the crowds, because he wanted this personal, intimate, one-on-one time with this blind guy. You know, he's still looking for that from you and from me, that personal, intimate, one-on-one time with him. He's always willing to take you by the hand and walk you away from the crowds just so he can have that time with you. Jesus is always willing to do that, always. Jesus was always ready to heal and spend time with those that were seeking him. You see this again and again in Mark's gospel. But one major thing that you just heard Pastor James talk about is how willing Jesus is to spend time with you one-on-one. He's not waiting for you to come to church, although he can and will meet you there. You can seek him right now. Whether you're in your home, at work, or in your car, it doesn't matter. Take some time today to meet with your Savior. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 8, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. He says, I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such sign. Now, Mark doesn't include what Matthew includes, where in Matthew chapter 16, verse 4, where he says, the only sign you'll get is that of the sign of Jonah, which that means that he was going to go down into the depths for three days and then rise again. That's the sign. He's like, you want a sign? That'll be your sign. Beyond that, I'm not giving you anything. I don't have to give you anything. I don't have to prove anything to you. I don't have to prove anything to you. You want to know who I am? Ask other people. You want to know who I am? Watch what I do. Take this word that you supposedly love and cherish and care about and see if I match up with it. I don't have to prove anything to you. I love that. And that's exactly how you and I should be around religious people. I don't have to prove anything to you. Why don't you do this? And you're not doing it like this. And I don't have to prove anything to you. I, I get nothing. I am his. He is mine. I'm a child of God. I don't have to prove anything to you. Look at my life. I'll live my life out in the open, transparent as can be. But I don't have to prove anything. You want to know who I am? Well, ask my family. They live in close proximity to me every day of the week. Nobody knows me better than my family and especially my wife. (laughs) And she'll tell you, yeah, he's kind of messed up. Um, He's got problems. Uh, And and she would be true. That's accurate. I do. Is he a sinner? Oh, he's a sinner. Absolutely. But he's a sinner saved by grace. He's a sinner saved by grace. And God is working in and through him all the time, all the time. Same for you. So if somebody's coming and they're hostile towards you and your relationship with the Lord, just, I don't have to prove to you anything. I don't have to. And I love that. Jesus is like, dude, just stop. Stop. I have nothing to prove to you. And then he leaves. And he just walks away. It's really good. It's a good lesson to learn. Just how to walk away. The value of walking away speaks volumes. That's like the most epic mic drop ever, right? Like you're mad at somebody uh, and they just turn around and walk away. Oh, that infuriates you, right? You're just like, oh, how dare they, right? But that person is totally set free. Totally set free and just walking away like, I don't, I'm, I don't have to prove to you anything. You want to know my life? Well, 
this is my life. This is who I am. He gets back in the boat and, and left those guys and crossed to the other side of the lake. That's good. He teaches his disciples, we don't have time for this. We're still on a mission. We're still on a mission. We got to get to somebody else. But on the journey across the lake, he's going to use that encounter with the Pharisees as an opportunity to teach his disciples about the dangers of the Pharisees and their doctrine, or that's a fancy church word for teaching. That's all that means. Doctrine equals teaching. That's it. That's all it means. He gets back into the boat. They're going over to the other side, verse 14, but the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. You had baskets of food. You had, what did you do with the baskets of food? Did they send them away with the people? If that's the case, okay, then I understand that. That's very nice to do. However, there's no indication that they sent the people away with baskets of food. They just forgot to bring the food. That's the role of the disciple. With the rabbi and the disciple, the teacher and the student, the student is always responsible for bringing the food. Always. Always. And they knew this. And now they're sweating in the middle of a boat on the Sea of Galilee. They're like, oh, man. Like, did you grab the food? I didn't grab the food. I was like, you were going to grab the food. I didn't grab the food. That's not my job. I'm one of his top three. What are you talking about? That's below me, right? That's probably the conversations that they were having. That's like Simon's job, or not Simon, it's Simon the Zealot. Nobody likes that guy too much. He's crazy. Like, or it's Judas. Let's make him. No, he carries the money. Don't let that guy handle the food, right? Like somebody forgot to grab the food and now they're going across the lake and that's all they can think about. That's all they can think about. Says they only had one loaf of bread between them or with them in the boat. They had 12 of these guys and they only got like one loaf of bread. That's it. Which is more than enough for 12 dudes in a boat occupied by Jesus. All you need is one loaf of bread. He can take that. If he can feed thousands of people with seven loaves, imagine what he can do with one loaf and just 12 dudes. Okay? You'll be okay. You're going to be all right. At least he's in the boat with you this time. Okay? So they're in the boat, crossing the Sea of Galilee there, one loaf of bread with them. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. And here in Mark, he says, and of Herod. He would also go on to caution them to beware the yeast of, or the leaven of the Sadducees. They're just rowing across or maybe selling the cross. And Jesus is like, hey, you guys, this is very important. I need you to listen to me. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He says leaven, and their minds are still on bread, and they're thinking like, oh, man, now we're in trouble. Like, he knows. He knows we forgot the bread. He knows. Like, no, you're, it's not what he's talking about. Verse 16, at this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens in our minds when Jesus says one thing, and we interpret it as a whole other thing, And then we get all riled up because we misinterpret what he has said. And we assume he's talking about this. And so we're just so stressed and caught up in like, oh, I can't believe I did that. I blew it. We just blew it. And we totally messed up. And Jesus is like, I'm not talking about that. You did blow it. You did mess up. Yeah, you forgot the bread. That's on you. But I'm not talking about that. I'm trying to teach you a lesson. Trying to teach you a nice object lesson here. Something that you need to be aware of that your whole country has bought into. Because yeast, what it does is it permeates the dough. It permeates the whole dough. And so what is the yeast of the Pharisees? What is this pervasive influence from the Pharisees and the scribes and also that of Herod? 
Well, it was really illustrated by their hearts towards Jesus, this unbelief, this unbelief. And what they were doing, and we know this from the Pharisees, because all you got to do is just keep reading the Gospel of Mark and get to the end, and you understand that there were crowds, crowds calling for the execution of Jesus. And they were just stirred up by what? By the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They had this thing of unbelief, and they were showing up, and they were in the presence of God in flesh. And they say, prove to us that you are who you say you are. And unless you show us the sign, we will not believe in you. And he's like, it doesn't matter what I do, you will not believe in me. Because your hearts, your hearts, all you're concerned with is the external appearance of everything. And everything within the realm of religion and church and all this good stuff, all you care about is how things look on the outside. You have no care or concern for the heart. And that is part of this leaven, this yeast of the Pharisees. It's keeping everything external. Everything external, the whitewashed tunes, make it look pretty on the outside. The whole time, it's just filled with dead men's bones. And this was permeating throughout the entire nation of Israel, where they just would put on this phoniness and this facade, all the while allowing for compromise to come in and out whenever it pleased. Then no regard for holiness at all. As long as we look right, and as long as we talk right, that's enough. That's part of this yeast or leaven of the Pharisees. Look the part, play the part. That's all you need to do. That's all you need to do. And Jesus says, that's garbage. That's garbage. Because I don't care what you look like. I'm not too concerned. The actions will change over time. The speech will change over time. All that stuff. Because what I'm working on, first and foremost, is your heart. Is your heart. It doesn't matter. We think like, we've got to be all cleaned up. And you got to look this certain way, and you got to act a certain way, and then you'll be acceptable. And Jesus says, no, that's garbage. That's backwards. What you need is you need a new heart. You get a new heart, new creation. You become one of his, one of his own. The outside and all that stuff cleans up. I mean, I think you understand what I'm saying. I think you get it. Because I know when I got saved, there were still many aspects on the outside that had to be dealt with. And the Lord Jesus dealt with those things over a course of time. And he's still working on some things. But the most important thing that needed to change first and foremost within my life was I needed a new heart. And he gave that to me. And it started there and it began to, a certain way, almost like yeast, it began to permeate from the inside out. From the inside out. It'll never go from the outside in. Transformation begins from the heart and from the inside out. So if you're frustrated with so-and-so because, man, they just won't stop. Well, okay, are they in love with Jesus? Let's make that our first concern. Do they love Jesus? Yeah, they love Jesus. Okay, well, then give them time. Give them time to grow. You can come alongside somebody and maybe, you know, it's hard to, because we can get so legalistic on this and that, all this other stuff. But if somebody's doing something that is sinful behavior, you, as a brother and sister, need to come alongside them and say, hey, listen, I need to share with you what the word says, okay? Because why? Because I care about you. Because I care about you. And I want to be a part of this transformation. I want to be part of this sanctification process. But that's where we need to come alongside these people and not be like these Pharisees who are like, you don't look the part, you don't talk the part, all that stuff. Well, then you're not a part of us. You're out. And you'll never be a part of us until you conform to our image. And the whole time, the gospel has been telling us that we need to conform to his image. 
and surrender our lives over to him and let him begin that work inside of us and the renewing of our mind and all that good stuff. You and I, as assuming you're a believer, get to come alongside some of these younger believers and help them walk through these transitions of laying aside some of those older things that they may be wrestling with, or maybe they don't know they're not supposed to do these things. Well, you and I, that's why we're here. We come alongside them and say, yeah, actually, the Bible says not to do that. They're like, really? I didn't know. Yeah, I know. It's okay. So let's make an action, but let's stop doing that, okay? I'll help you to walk through that process. That's what a church should be about. Not just like, oh, you do that? No, out of here. You don't fit here. Oh, you don't? You, oh, no, out of here. No, we don't want you here. We don't want you messing up what we got going on. That's nonsense. That's not what a church is. That's not what a church is. If a church is a social club, well, then yes. Church is a hospital, then we're here to help people. We're here to help people through that long, sometimes painful process of watching them grow and develop in their relationship with the Lord Jesus. It's a great thing. Who helped you do that in your walk? You didn't get to where you're at by yourself. And if you are trying to get somewhere in your relationship with the Lord by yourself, then you're probably pretty frustrated. Who in your life has come alongside you at those moments and times and say, hey, you know what? Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me give you some accountability. Let me invest in you. Who's done? I've had all kinds of guys come alongside me and say, hey, I remember when I first got saved, I had guys my age come alongside me saying like, hey, James, um, listen, man, uh, you probably shouldn't be listening to that music anymore. I'm like, really? Why? And not that it's like, listen, we're not going to go into this legalism thing or anything. The music I was listening to was absolutely offensive to both God and to women, and it was horrible, horrible music. I didn't even realize it. I didn't even, it's just what we listen to. And these guys come alongside, they're like, yeah, but if you listen to the lyrics, are you okay with them saying that about your mom? No. Are you okay with them saying about your sister? No. What about like your future spouse? Are you okay with them using those words about your future spouse? No, I'm not. Okay. Hey, that's probably not good for your soul. Let's transition away from that. I'm not saying all secular music's bad or all that. Don't go... I still listen to some secular music. You're like, oh, no, um, I do. I enjoy some of it. It's good. Some of it's really good. Some of it's not. It's garbage. Guess what? Some Christian music is really good. Some Christian music is garbage. It is. I don't have a problem saying that. It's growth in the Lord Jesus is what it is. That's the goal. The Pharisees had no concern for that. Just look right, just talk right, and you'll be fine. And also pay us a bunch of money, and you'll be good to go. Jesus is like, beware of that teaching. The disciples don't get it. They miss it. They're kind of blind to what he's talking about here. Verse 17, he does say he knew what they were saying. And so he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Do you not understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, but you can't see. You have ears, but you can't hear. Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? 12, they all say, probably like looking down like, oh man, he's getting on us. Yes, he is. And then when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He asked them. This is a gentle rebuke for Jesus for their failure to understand the meaning of his presence with them. He's like, don't you get it? I'm with you. The bread of life. I'm here. You're arguing about bread. You're missing what I'm trying to tell you. 
You need to keep yourself pure and undefiled in this sinful world. And you have these religious leaders that they don't address that at all. They want you to stay as is. And now you're just arguing about bread. And so he corrects them in a nice, understanding, gentle way. And then he applies a very real practical application to this. If you look at this last little story, which is where we'll stop, he's going to heal a blind man. It says, when they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. This is so they immediately get out of the boat. As soon as they hit the shore, this group shows up and they begged Jesus, they begged him to touch the man and to heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Beautiful little image there, if you can envision that within your head of Jesus holding this blind man's hand and walking him outside of the village, away from the crowds, because he wanted this personal, intimate, one-on-one time with this blind guy. You know, he's still looking for that from you and from me, that personal, intimate, one-on-one time with him. He's always willing to take you by the hand and walk you away from the crowds just so he can have that time with you. Jesus is always willing to do that, always. So he walks this guy out. He took the blind man by the hand outside the village. It says, then spitting on the man's eyes. Wait, what? Yeah, nowadays, this is like, oh, so taboo, right? No, but remember, back then, spit was seen as medicinal, okay? So to this blind guy, Jesus is just using medicine. He's just using medicine. And so he spits and onto this guy's eyes. In the other translations, you know, he's going to touch this guy's eyes, signaling to this guy, like, I'm going to take care of this problem for you. But I like the New Living Translation. It adds a little bit more color to that, so to speak. And it's like, he spit on this guy's face. He spit on this guy's eyes. He laid his hands on him and asked him, can you see anything now? So this is a two-part miracle. This is the only two-stage miracle Jesus ever did, okay? So the first part, he's like, can you see anything? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. He's like, I see images, but it's all blurry. I don't really have good focus. And what Jesus is using, doing with this man, it probably was Jesus and his disciples around there, but what he's doing is using a very practical illustration to teach his disciples of like, this is you. This is you. You can kind of see, but you can't really see. You're better than the Pharisees. They're as blind as can be. But this is where you're at, disciples. The blindness has been taken away, but you have no focus. You have no focus. And then he completes the healing. He places his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. That's the key word. He could see everything clearly. The moment Jesus laid his hands on the guy's eyes again, he could see clearly, perfectly, 20-20 vision. Sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. So he's like, go around that village, just go home, show him what the Lord has done for you. And this would serve as a good, very clear, practical example for the disciples of like, this is you. Currently, right now, this is where you're at. You can see, but you can't really kind of see. But the clarity will come in a few moments. And that's the beauty of how the Lord works. And he's even willing to use this blind man to like, all right, disciples, come over here. Let me show you something. He could have healed them in one shot easily, easily. This two-stage miracle, though, was set there so that they could understand because sight always equals understanding. Sight equals understanding. And so he shows these disciples like, your eyes are open, but you're just not seeing it yet. Yet. But don't lose heart. Don't give up. Clarity will come. My encouragement 
for yourself and for myself, maybe in certain situations you find yourself right now. You're like, man, I just can't seem to think clearly. I can't seem to see clearly, Lord. I don't know what you want me to do. Well, continue to go back to him time and time again saying, Jesus, I just need another touch from you, another touch from you. Because I want to know. I want to see what you see. I want to know what it is that you, that you want from me, what you've called me to do. And as believers, there are times where we can walk around and the vision is just fuzzy. It's just fuzzy. And there's no clarity. There's no clarity. You and I need to get really good at going back to Jesus and saying, Lord, can you just place your hands on me again? Can you just help me to see? I just, I just want to see. I just need to see. If you find yourself in that position, that is the best advice I can give you, is go to him and ask him to bring clarity into your life. This blind guy was like, sweet, man. He's like, you know, I could almost see. I could kind of see, but not really see. And then it was the second touch from Jesus that really opened up his eyes to see those 12 men that were probably standing in a circle around him. Those were the trees he saw. They were the disciples, I'm sure. But that last little thing with Jesus and this blind man outside of the village, I wrote down this quote from John Walbert. It says, true understanding of Jesus comes through a personal relationship with him apart from the crowd's opinions. True understanding or sight True understanding of Jesus comes through a personal relationship with him apart or away from what everybody else thinks. You need vision. You need clarity in your life. You need to spend time with him away from the nonsense, away from the madness. You need to be proactive. You and I, I'll include myself in there because there are certainly times in my life where I'm like, Lord, I just, it's all fuzzy. There are times like that for me. I know that's true for you. What we need to do is we need to be proactive in making time with Jesus, getting away and spending time with him. So we have that personal relationship. Why not engage in that and allow him to bring that clarity to your hearts and to your minds? So we'll pause there because we're going to be talking about Peter's proclamation of who Jesus is, and Jesus is going to start predicting his death. And it really, Mark chapter 8, right there at the feeding of the 4,000, ended his ministry in the Galilee region. It all came to a close, the ministry there. Now he's going to start transitioning to Jerusalem. And he's going to start talking about his death, giving them hints and indications that that's why he came. But for you and I today, I would hope that you know just a handful of things. Number one, you can trust him. If he provided for millions of Israelites wandering through the wilderness who were about as hard-headed and stubborn as can be, you're probably okay. You're probably going to be okay. And if you don't feel like you're going to be okay, can I encourage you to get away with Jesus, away from that situation or those circumstances for a moment and spend time with him to allow him to touch you again so that you can see you're going to be all right. You'll be all right. Prove it. I can't. <laughs> I mean, I got my life. You want that? You want stories? I got stories. But I know that he loves you, and I know that he cares about you. And he wants nothing more than for us just to come away. Just come away. You need more understanding of what this thing is saying, the Bible and all that? Be proactive in opening it up and reading it and saying, Lord, I don't understand any of this. And let him open your eyes. Let him open your eyes. He loves doing that. And he's not done.
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the Gospel of Mark. This book is fast-paced. You'll notice as you keep studying with us that Jesus was on the move quite a lot. He did what needed to be done, and then he moved on to the next thing. Jesus packed a lot of service into his time here on earth, culminating in the greatest act of sacrifice ever, dying on the cross for everybody. If Jesus was consistently moving and serving, shouldn't we also be doing the same? Our faith doesn't say that we should just sit back and let others do the work. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus right here, right now. So go and do whatever it is that the Lord has gifted you with. Go share the good news of the gospel and then demonstrate it by how you love and serve people. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston and we would love to meet you. Visit breadforthebroken.com for more information. Would you like to do something for us? Would you pray for your fellow listeners? Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Please pray for us too, that we would continue to follow Jesus' leading no matter where it takes us. If you feel like God is leading you to partner with us financially, all donations are greatly appreciated, no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. That's all that we have for today. Join Pastor James next time for more here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.